The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello and welcome to the Green Industry Podcast with Paul Jamison. This show is all about helping lawn care and landscape professionals take your business to the next level. Paul is the author of three best-selling books, including Cut That Grass and Make That Cash, and his brand new book, 101 Proven Ways to Increase Efficiency and Make More Money in Lawn Care. Now available on Audible and narrated by Mr. Producer. Here's your host, Paul Jamison. You are in for a treat on today's program. We have a star-studded lineup of Mike Andes and Liz from the Augusta Lawn Care team, Sean Spencer from Spencer Lawn Care in Canton, Ohio, Jason Curl representing Alabama. He's a furt and squirt guy, and Naylor Taliaferro from Midlothian, Virginia. He has a lawn care business up there, and I'm going to be moderating today's event. We are here in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. We have a live studio audience, and uh, basically, we're going to be answering any questions that you have about how to grow a profitable business. Without further ado, here's Liz, Mike Andes, Sean Spencer, Jason Creole, and Naylor Taliaferro. Before we do, let's give Jamie a round of applause for the wonderful event. All right, I'm the moderator today. I'm Paul Jamison. I host the Green Industry Podcast. I love doing these, so don't be shy. You can ask Mike Andes any question you want, controversial questions, preferred, any question you want for any of the guests, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this. Hey, guys, I'm Naylor Taliaferro, uh, LCR Media, Long Care Rookie. Just here having fun with you guys, trying to just participate in as much as I can with the community. I also have a lawn care business going on year nine. Um, so I've been living through a lot of the same stuff as a lot of you guys have over the last few years. So just trying to navigate that and share that on social media and help each other grow personally and professionally. I'm Jason Creel. I'm from Alabama. My local company is called Alabama Lawn Pros. I spray weeds and kill them. I try to kill them. Hopefully they die. And uh, on, on social media, I go under Lawn Care Life, so I pr- primarily work on YouTube for that. Sean Spencer Lawn Care. I'm one half of my beautiful wife over there. We're a team, husband and wife, uh, out of Ohio, 11th year in business, and uh, loving every minute of it. I'm, I personally want to say thank you to each and every one of you that stuck with us and came to the event. And, you know, we just make sure you take it all in, the relationships, the food, uh, just the aura of where we're all at and together because the last couple of years we were unable to do this. So I personally just wanted to say from us, thank you. I think they know me. I just have, I'm just happy to have my booster seat up here so I can be on the same playing field, but yeah, just go ahead and kick it off. A moderator. Well, for everyone who's going to watch later on, on the social media, who are you? Oh, sorry. Social media. People. My name is Mike Andes. You've already gotten his ad, so you've probably seen him before. <laughs> yeah. Augusta lawn care. And talk about that, this Mike. is Liz. She runs it. So she asked us to tell how we got into the industry. I'm Liz Neighbor from Washington State. 
And I'm COO of Augusta Lawn Care Services. And how I got into the industry is I was working full-time at the hospital, night shift. And I was getting off one morning and Mike texts me. He goes, please, can you come by the shop when you get home or after work? And uh, he said, I'm working over 100 hours just in the shop, let alone doing estimates and deliveries of product. Can you please, I just need somebody I trust to come work with me. And the next day I was on a tractor and I'd never been on a tractor in my life. So... Let's go. <laughs> so this warm weather is uh, kind of hitting at the spring rush is going to be here. What's your number one piece of advice to, you know, have the most successful spring rush in your business? Have a plan. I, I want everyone to answer. Was that sh short enough? That, that, was, that was short and sweet. <laughs> short and sweet. Yeah, planning is definitely a big part of it. Uh, you know, make sure your advertising is locked in and you're just really, you know, honing in your routes, guys. Like, I can't stress that enough. Your route density is going to make or break a lot of your success, especially early on, because like Mike kind of hinted on earlier, last thing you want to be doing is driving 15 minutes one way, then 15 minutes back the other way because Miss Smith wants to be on Friday. You know, you got to target those customers at the exact time you're in those neighborhoods and just deal with the repercussions if you can't take care of her or get $250 a cut. So I think as I was just sitting here thinking to me, you, you can't really have a spring strategy unless you kind of know what your overall strategy is. So if I, like me personally, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm a solo operator who's very content being a solo operator. So my spring strategy is not go get 400 more customers this spring. I, I'm going to use the same illustration I use with Paul because he just did this just to work with him. But, um, you know, so I tell people it's like Alabama. Got to bring Alabama football into I don't bring, it. I don't, I'm not even a passionate fan. I just watch it. You know, it's, it's part of the culture. But, uh, but what I'm saying is they, they, they're not, their spring strategy is not let's go start a whole new team. Let's revamp the offense. We just barely squeaked by last year, you know, but it's like, I want to get a little bit better in certain areas. So for me as a solo operator, I'm trying to fine tune what I feel like is, is going pretty well for me. And let me pick up a few more customers in these neighborhoods where I'm established. Let me improve my efficiency. Let me uh, try to get my prices where they need to be kind of thing. But again, if I have a friend, his strategy is to grow to multi-million dollar company and sell it one day. So his spring strategy is probably going to look a lot different because he he's really trying to ramp up revenue and clients and all that. So it's a he'll get a higher value one day, obviously, than I would. Uh, yeah, I think for a lot of us, just like knowing what your budget hour capacity is for the spring. And then a lot of people try to do everything in the spring. Whereas if you can push projects off further off into the summer and focus on the more immediate services that need attention right away, usually it's mowing. Like you can you can push off a, a paver patio till summer and sell someone on that three months down the road, but you can't tell someone, hey, I'll get to your, your lawn that's overgrown in three months. So trying to just prioritize which services you're going to actually um, do during the spring rush is, is something that really helped us to kind of level out the spring rush, massive demand, uh, kind of few months. Um, I would, I would say that whatever your plan is to share it with your team and to get them on board with it so that they can start, they can watch you and kind of block for you and help you do whatever your plan is. And also have a plan for your personal care to pace yourself because you know what it's like in spring rush and have your non-negotiables of things you're going to do to make sure you hydrate and sleep. I know that sounds silly, but everybody, everybody crashes if they don't. 
So that that was just a tease. So my my plan. <laughs> no, so so last year, so last year's plan because I can tell you the results versus this year's plan. Last year's plan it was what's my biggest headache going into last spring rush and a gazillion phone calls, emails, all that stuff. So how do I alleviate that off of my shoulder? So I uh, tried out a call service so that they handled eighty something calls in April, and I only got to deal with the ones that matter to me, the ones that needed a quote, needed me to talk to for various reasons. So every time my phone rang, one ring while I was on a mower or I was talking to somebody or I was given a quote, it would automatically get transferred to that call service. And it was a huge weight off my shoulders knowing that I didn't have to deal with that until later on in that day, or if they called me back because it was something urgent or whatever. And that helped me just stay focused on the clients I already had and making sure that we get the work done in the spring rush, right? Because we have a ton of work to do, but then also dealing with that influx, especially if you're trying to grow. What is your plan for that? Like, that's great to grow and, and advertise and have that all part of your marketing strategy. But if you don't have a way to deal with the influx of all the phone calls and emails and Facebook messages, that's that's not going to help you. That's just going to flood you with overwhelming response. And, and it's also going to put a bad name potentially out there for you and your business because you're not even answering the phone or handling it. So that that was my plan last year. And it was it was a game changer for me. What did you have in mind when you were thinking about controversial questions to me? The, the, uh, that's for audience participation. All right. Well, hold on. <laughs> I, I had a, I had a piggyback. Thanks, Jeremiah. Uh, thanks, Jeremiah. <laughs> I had a piggyback off the spring rush and then we can get into that if you want. So, uh, you can think about your answer, Mike. So, all right. Piggyback in, uh, Naylor's married with children, you know, Jason married four children, Sean and TQ, very public marriage and, and, and children. Mike, do you get a girl yet? All right. So Mike and I are single, but, uh, how do You're you- You're the only one advertising that, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got- <laughs> Okay. So- Growing <laughs> man. All right. We can give out your digits if you want. <laughs> Hold on, I'll get them for you guys or gals. <laughs> back to back to the question here, rookie. <laughs> um, married ki kids, a crazy schedule in the spring. How do you, um, you know, sustain a, a healthy marriage and being there for your children while also serving your customers with such a high demand? Well, when I first started, I told my wife, I'm not going to start a project or start working past six o'clock, and she thought that was a really good. Uh, a really good compromise because before that retail management, I worked all the time. The hours were all over the place. So I, I didn't want to, I wanted to immediately start controlling my time so that I could uh, be there for my family and kind of re like just recover from all the craziness of my previous life. So six o'clock was just like one, one of many examples of like me having a definitive plan, like six o'clock, I'm not going to work past six o'clock. I'm not going to start anything at six o'clock. So this way I can pack up and I can go home and we can have dinner together and spend time. Typically six o'clock is a little late for dinner, but it just gave me something to a target, a goal. A lot of times I would be finished before six because it'd be five 30. I knew that I couldn't start anything and be done by six. So I would stop. So that's just one of many things that I did to help. So if get it's that. five 50 and you're like, Oh, let's bang out one more. You're like, Nope. Because it's six o'clock. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I'm going to give the same answer I gave on the last question. Alabama? No, I'm not using that illustration yet. But I, I do think you have to start with the end in mind in a sense. So like, if I 
wake up tomorrow and I say, you know what, my life goal is on my tombstone for to say greatest lawn care provider of all time. And that's my only life goal. Well, then, yeah, I'm then forget everything else. I'm going uh, just dedicate everything to that. But and I think this is actually difficult to implement because I think most of you guys like us are entrepreneurs and you're self-employed or whatever. And so you're, you are driven to make more money and you know, if I work more, I'll probably make more money. Now, there may be a, some point where that is no longer true, but for a, a period of time, it's like, if I mow another yard, I will get more money into the bank. So I think I had to like think, well, yeah, that's, that's true, but that's not the only thing I exist for. So I, I do have a family. I do have other things I value. Maybe it's even going fishing once a year or something with my son or something. You know, so I have to make that a priority and be okay with that. that might actually mean making less money. But my number one goal in life is not to make money. Now, I'm trying to make money, but I'm trying to do it more faster and more efficient without neglecting all the other things that matter in life. What's the quote in your shop? I don't have a quote in my shop, but I, I thought about writing down. And yesterday I thought, because, you know, my mind, I'm thinking making money is very important. So I thought I'm going to just write it on the wall is, what was the quote? I forgot. It, <laughs> it, it was something to the that, that making money is not the most important thing in my life. You know, it just right. And I know that if you ask me in a sane moment, I, I realize that. But on a day to day practical basis, if you looked at my life, you would think, I think the most important thing in Jason's life is making more money. And and it's very important. And I'm not saying that I'm trying to like retire at age, you know, a few years from now, but. Uh, anyway, I, I just I need to be reminded of that because again, if you're around a bunch of dri- self-driven people, um, that that they're probably not going to remind you that very often. They're like, work harder, go do stronger, better, faster, and all that, which is great. But then you know, if you if you you don't remember your kids' names when they grow up, it's kind of kind of missed the point. Yeah. So this one I could probably talk about for a day and a half. <clears throat> Only because it's something I've personally struggled with. I don't go to it much on our social media because I try to keep our personal life uh, out of everybody else's business. I just don't think it's something I really want to go into a whole lot. But uh, I worked into a point where I could have easily ended my marriage. And luckily, Savannah came to me and she said, you know, this isn't working. Like, I've shared with people in 2018 when I finally decided to take social media serious. I went over three years without missing a day of uploading a video. And I mean, shooting the video, editing the video, uploading the video, titling, description, thumbnail, you name it. And it it took a solid probably two and a half, three years before she came to me and said, hey, this isn't working. You know, we need a we need a day at least. So then I started taking Saturdays off. And I still take those Saturdays off for the most part. But uh, as a person that's so driven for what I want to achieve, even on those days I take off, I feel like I should still be working. Like it's hard to explain to somebody that doesn't get it. But I think Mike understands it. And I'm glad Mike actually knows where he's at right now with his business and that he knows he doesn't want to bring a, a wife or something into that because it would be bad. It, it would be, it would be. Mike's on a path right now. He's so driven. I kind of went into that path already married and it took a while to figure it out. Uh, but I did figure it out. I'm not perfect by any means, but uh, 
you know, work is important, but it's not everything. And it hurts because like, you know, that day that you're, you're with your kids, like we were just in Amish country on Saturday, the day before I was in Kentucky, Sunday, we're flying down here, but you still take that day and your kids will remember that your wife will remember that. And sometimes maybe they're looking forward to that next Saturday, but it's also, you know, making sure they know that Saturday is going to be their day and that it's filled from the time we wake up to the second we go to bed and we can do whatever they want. And for the most part, I'll try to keep social media out of it altogether. You can plan ahead with that kind of stuff. But uh, to kind of answer your question a little bit earlier, when you were asking Mike about that personal disconnection, you know, between life and work balance, you can't, when you're driven, especially most people in here right now are at an age where you're still pretty motivated it is extremely hard to find that balance because you're, you're constantly in your own mind going to be saying, am I giving my family enough time? Am I giving my kids enough time? Am I giving my business enough time? And in reality, you don't know. You, you can only look at your life and how things around you are going. My kids are straight A students. My wife, you know, she shares with me every day that she's happy. We got a roof over our head, food in our bellies, you know, bills are paid. Uh, you know, we're, we're trying to be a light in this community to, you know, we can all be better. So I have to look back and maybe I'm not achieving as much because I'm taking that one day off a week that I could be putting elsewhere, but we're still having a large impact. So that's just my personal side of it. Yeah. I think a lot of the times, uh, a lot of the pressure we put on ourselves is just because of the optics to other people and not only to build the business bigger, but also to you know, quote unquote, spend more time with her family or, um, have more work-life balance is like, well, that's what we're told we should. Or like, I don't want to be looking like I'm the guy who neglected his family or whatever. I just think a lot of times we have social pressures that push us in either direction that really it should be between you and your spouse or you and your significant other, your, your family, and what your goals are back to what Jason was talking about. That's what it should be determined by, in my opinion. And based on like my experience isn't obviously firsthand, it's secondhand through the franchisees, seeing what works like we've last year we had four what we call uh, state of emergencies so they can declare state of emergency and we basically take the business over for six weeks and so all four of them fortunately made it through but every single one had to do with overdoing their capacity or something in their personal relationship and so that is a matter of like we try to do what we can on the business side but it's ultimately it's like you guys did not have a conversation about what the hours were going to look like you know when were i supposed to clock out like what are the goals of this business like you know people come to a conference like this and they go home like super fired up and then wonder why their spouse is like a drag. They weren't here. They don't know what you heard and what your goals are and what you're trying to achieve. And so I think just getting on the same page and making sure there's some uh, common ground there is important instead of just, you know, three years down the road, realizing that you're in a completely different mindset than my mind space than them potentially. Speaking of balance, I think there's a good balance of us that are here. So um, I am single and not looking and I have two grown children and four grandsons and I'm at a, like a whole different where I've turned that corner, poured 100 percent into the kids, tried to keep a balance. And then now I've made the decision that this is what we're doing. Every year we write down our goals of what we want for our business, personal lives, fitness, health, the whole thing. And then we go for it. And so there's no balance. And my kids 
understand that um, this is what we're doing and they appreciate that, that somebody's working hard to go towards their goals. And I also recognize that if I raised awesome kids like you guys are doing now, then they're very self-sufficient. And when we are together, the, the quality of our time is so good. Fantastic answers, guys. That was really good. Jeremiah, can you clarify your question? Or was that sarcasm, sir? Okay, so the question from Jeremiah Jennings, Growing Green Landscape, was debt or no debt to grow your business? Do you spend too much time worrying about the safety and security of your vehicles and machines? Are you tired of the hassle of building schedules and routes for your crews? Well, GPS Track It is here to help. They understand that keeping your assets safe and managing your crews efficiently are crucial tasks, but they don't have to be your job. Let GPS Track It take some of the mental load off with their cutting-edge tools, including real-time asset tracking, optimized routing, efficiency reports, and more. With GPS Track It, you can focus on your real job, building your business. So why wait? Visit gpstrackit.com slash Paul to get started and experience peace of mind like never before. Say goodbye to disorganized and inefficient business management. Upgrade to Jobber, the field service management software. Streamline every aspect of your business from quoting to invoicing. Impress your customers and increase your productivity. Start your journey to success with Jobber now at getjobber.com forward slash Paul. Again, that's getjobber.com forward slash Paul. You're out there in the field mowing lawns, making money, working hard. But for every dollar you make, you're worried. Worried that you spend too much. Worried that you won't make payroll. Or worried you'll generate a big financial mistake. Simply put, you don't know your numbers. You're not alone. The Landscaping Bookkeeper has helped dozens of eager lawn care owners organize their numbers, learn the language of business, and build a solid financial foundation. Start your journey from simply earning money to creating a long-lasting source of income today by scheduling a free 15-minute phone call at thelandscapingbookkeeper.com. Okay, a question came from Jeremiah Jennings, the instigator in the back. He wanted to know about, and he's a, he's a big debt guy, so that was, he was biased in his question, but are you a Dave Ramsey type, no debt, build your business at the speed of cash, or are you a Jeremiah Jennings Go into debt uh, to scale your business. Want to use that one? No, it doesn't. It's not long enough. Just oh, my. <laughs> Come on, man. You're killing me. So uh, a wise person told me that, again, it's about your goals and how fast you want to grow because you can do it debt-free, but it's slower growth. Um, and obviously, if you do it too fast and you go into too much debt, then you, that's unrecoverable. So I think it, it depends on your goals and what you try, what, like a balance between the two. Me personally, I try to follow that balance motto. Like, you know, a little bit of uh, business debt is not a terrible thing to help you grow to the next level. As long as you have a, a strategy and a plan, how you're going to pay that debt back. Like if you're buying a mower that you need to make money, clearly, you know, how are you going to make money if you, it, it's almost like a double-edged sword. So you have to have a plan you know, to save and, and, and use a little bit of debt and things like that. But going completely debt free and going all in in debt, I think are two complete opposite results and depends on the person, the risk factors, what you can and can't handle and what ultimately your goals are for your business. If you just want a solo owner operator, 
um, business and you can do it debt free a hundred percent. Uh, and, and you just got to know how long things are going to take, but that's just my unexpert opinion. Me personally, I think you can use debt smartly, you know, but first and foremost, you know, cash flow, you're, you're going to want to have a good reserve of that so that, you know, if it does go bad, you're still able to pay your bills, but everybody knows in here, you can, you can buy a piece of equipment, but are you buying something that you don't necessarily need? And that'll all come down to your overhead. If your overhead is just astronomical and you're not generating enough money to put money in the bank and save, you know, you're, you're doing something wrong there. So uh, I'll use my own personal example. Uh, last year we bought a storage facility. We took money. Yeah. We had to put 30% down. That's right out of the front, but that, property, you know, we knew looking at the numbers that we could turn it around and we could start cash flowing almost $3,000 a month off of it. It alleviated all of our storage problems immediately. It, uh, just by upgrading certain things, going to an on-base, uh, CRM, easy storage solutions. We took everybody that was meeting the previous owners at the place with a check, believe it or not, or cash. And now we never even see them. Yesterday, I'm sitting in a room with Noah and we get 100% occupied. So I'm talking to somebody else that knows business. Mike's very first question is you're going to raise rates, right? Obviously, yeah, you're going to raise rates. You're not going to get crazy, but you're going to raise rates because we don't want to be 100% occupied, believe it or not. Just like, you know, if you're, you're a lawn care business, you don't want to be mowing 100 lawns if you're not making any money. So raise your prices, do less work and make more money if you guys kind of get what I'm saying. But to stay on topic of the whole debt thing, that's all a personal question. This is not financial advice for anybody watching anyway. Uh, Spencer Lawncare is not legally uh, held liable for all that, just letting you know. But just be smart, guys. I, I think you guys know when you're sitting there like, hey, do I need this? Uh, should I finance it? You know, if you don't have money in the bank, you shouldn't be financing anything because then you're just putting yourself at risk. And with risk comes stress and with stress, bad problems start happening. You have a bad month. Can't make that. The bills don't stop coming. So just be smart. I think this question was for me. Um, <laughs> I'm not against debt, honestly. Like I actually, we actually have quite a bit of debt. Uh, if, if people knew how many millions of dollars I'm in debt, they'd probably be flabbergasted, but it's not on, um, depreciating assets, right? So it's only in real estate. Um, and it's all stuff that has less than 4% interest on it. So technically it's less than inflation. So what I get scared though, is when someone, you know, says, okay, I have 0% down on this truck. And it's like, well, yeah, but you paid an extra $10,000 in financing fees. And so um, the 0% the, the down thing that everyone gets caught up into this industry, they're making their money somewhere. It's on the financing fees uh, and you're not going to get like a discount by doing a cash thing versus doing debt. So um, I think it just comes down to risk tolerance too. Like if you're in my situation, like if I, if I go bankrupt, like I'm still going to live in a closet like I do now. So like, it's not going to change a whole lot. Whereas if you have a family, like I think it's your obligation to ensure that if you, if, if things go really South that, you know, you're going to be able to keep a, uh, uh, something over their head and food on the table. I think it's really important. So, um, I, obviously I, I tend to think more in terms of cash because I think it makes people think more conservatively and instead of thinking, Oh, I can get the $80,000 truck. It's like, Oh no, I'm going to, if I'm paying more cash, I'm probably going to opt for the $30,000 truck. In my opinion, $10,000 spent on marketing is going to do a whole lot more for you than spending $10,000 more on a truck. I just, I just can't any math to, to prove otherwise. And so I think too many of us 
spend way too much money. If we look at the assets of our business that we spent money on versus what we spent in marketing, which actually brings in customers, it just blows my mind that people can't get a website and yet they have a $50,000, $200,000 of assets. It's nuts. Can I piggyback off that a little bit, Mike? Where, where do you draw the line? Because I know you, your motto is to use like a little bit older trucks. My motto is, hey, I'm going to use newer trucks now because we can for one and we have less breakdowns most of the time. Not saying new trucks can't break down. Obviously, mine do all the time. But where do you find that fine line? I, I guess, where's your your age limit at on a vehicle where you're finding, you know, maybe it just costs too much if it breaks down or your time, your lost revenue. If you're, you know, sitting there with a truck in the shop versus, you know, a, a newer truck basically should go maintenance free for quite a while. Totally. So I like to have backups in terms of trucks. And the problem with that is when you have only one or two trucks, for example, a backup truck is becomes 30, 40% of your, of your fleet is sitting there every day. So that's not good. However, this is the thing. If you are looking at say a $50,000 truck versus a 15 or $20,000 used truck, I would personally go buy the truck for cash with 15 or 20,000 because I could then just the savings on insurance alone. If you look at the insurance of a leased or a uh, uh, financed vehicle versus a one that you own, one that you own, you can do way lower in terms of your uh, limits as well as your uh, deductible can be higher. Personally, I'm not going to use insurance on a $300 damaged thing. It's just not good, especially when you have a business because then your deductible or your rates go up, et cetera. So I want like high, high deductibles. If you go finance your vehicle, you're not going to allow that. And that's going to cause your insurance to typically be almost double, sometimes triple the cost per month. So if I went and bought that fifteen dollars or $20,000 truck, yes, it is going to be have more da- uh, downtime, et cetera. But I could literally, with the savings of just my insurance, go get another truck that is, that is financed and get a second fifteen dollars or $20,000 vehicle for the savings of that first one. And so you know, our, our, before 2020, we never spent more than $7,000 on a truck ever. Um, now, obviously, with truck inflation and stuff, we're looking more like... 12 to 15,000. But, um, you know, I just don't, I just don't buy the fact that if a truck goes down for a day, two, three, a week, even that I can't buy a cheap truck that can, um, back it up. And it just, I spend the other money on, you know, marketing and things like that. What you're making models are you buying? Where, where are you buying these 12 to $15,000 trucks? Yeah. So right now we really like, I don't like to go too much earlier than 10 years out. Like that starts to get where there is issues, especially the electrical for us. It's the electrical, um, buying trucks out of Canada. You gotta be careful too with the salt and we're close to the border. Um, so we were really looking for trucks that are within 10 years. So 2013, 2014 is like my wheelhouse. Um, we just bought eight trucks for the ones that are just getting started in North Carolina. They're all tw- 2013 to 2015. And we all, all of them were about 13 to $15,000 and all of them have less than a hundred thousand miles. Um, I, I really want to get like five to eight years out of them. And if I have to replace the engine at that time, like we'll determine what that price is then. Um, like back in the day, if, if, a, if a truck needed a new engine, it was out because like it was the cost of a new truck. But now, you know, I'm not going to go spend 15,000 if my engine's only five. It's just different math, right? Ford, Chevy, what are you buying, Mike? Flip a coin. Doesn't matter. I just have paint no- Paint it yellow. Yeah, paint it yellow. As long as it's yellow and has max on it, we're good to go. No, I've gone to auctions before. Um, I'm not a huge fan of doing, uh, what's it called? The, when uh, it's been damaged before. Not refurbished. What's the word? Uh, a rebuilt. Sa- salvage. Oh, yes. The other one. Rebuilt. Title. Rebuilt. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of rebuilt titles, mostly because I've seen issues with the electrical and electrical for me, like 
I don't know how to do any. I've never changed the oil in the car. I hardly know how to do like the fluid for the windshield wipers. So um, electrical is way beyond my pay grade. So I've just seen a lot of issues with those. Um, but we used to get them all from Canada. It was great because the exchange rate and they have a ton of trucks up there from the oil fields. Um, but what, since COVID, we've just stayed on the U.S. side. It's just a little more difficult to get stuff across the border. You know, the previous administration was a little easier to get things across the border on. And to argue a little bit, yes. because every business is different. We plow, obviously Mike's already shared that that's not really something they target. Uh, any of you guys, if you know plowing <laughs> after five years, that truck is, that's somebody else's problem. Yeah. Cause you're going to be rebuilding the whole front end. That's going to cost you five to seven grand, especially with, you know, rates now in the, tr- in the shop. Uh, so it's really also figuring out what works for your business. You know, if you're in snow plowing, you know, even Noah that's sitting up here at front, I mean, he'll buy a nineties truck and, but he's got a mechanic in house, a guy that knows, you know, right around the corner that can fix anything. If it breaks down, like I've literally seen this guy put seven toggle switches to turn his headlights on. Like, I'm not kidding you. He sends his videos like click, 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 turn the headlight turn the steering wheel to the left and turn the radio on his headlights come on, but he gets it done and he keeps working. So it's finding out what works for your business as well. To argue a point again, um, when it comes to snow, I agree with them, especially cause I know like them specifically, they do a lot of snow, which is a very big piece of their business. But back to what we talked about this morning, what percentage of your revenue are you making these buying decisions on? Right. It's a big chunk of their revenue is snow plowing. It's very, very profitable for them. But if you're doing like two lots or three lots, you're making 20, 30 grand a year, probably not a good idea to be buying, making a truck purchase based upon that service. And so that's when it's like, okay, if it's not worth it, if it's making 10, 15% of revenue, cut the service so you can scale back your equipment. So when we stopped doing artificial turf and these massive projects, I could get rid of dump trucks and tree chippers. And that caused my insurance to go down. And the amount of skill I required to get guys um, trained up, that went down. So um, just be careful of that too. But I agree with him. If, if you're doing a lot of revenue with things like snow plowing, tree chipping, a lot of hauling debris or equipment, you've got to have bigger trucks that are nicer. Yeah. And I, I want to elaborate a little bit real quick. Neither one of us are wrong. It, it's really, you have to find out what's right for you and then move forward with that. And you'll figure out on your own what's working, what's not working. If you're not using it, get rid of it. So here is a non-tool truck answer. Um, I think that it depends on debt or no debt. I just love these deeper questions. Thank you. Um, if you're if you're young and you make stupid decisions like I did, you think you know everything and you make bad decisions earlier, um, I think Dave Ramsey's um, program is good to get you back on track. So I did the envelope system and completely got my family out of debt that way. It was a real pain to carry envelopes around and all that cash, but it worked and it was successful. And I remember thinking, oh God, give me a million dollars. What would I do with a million dollars? Which isn't very much now. Um, But I always have this thought, what would you do with it? Like, do you really, could he even trust you with a million bucks? Like, what would you do with it? And I know that my answer then would be very different than now. Like now I know that I would just take the money and go grow businesses because even all the personal stuff that, you know, I live in a little tiny place too. And to me, that's what it's all about is like um, multiplying the wealth and doing more with the money than just having the money and having things. So I think it does depend on your maturity level and whether you can handle the debt and will be mature enough to handle it correctly. Well, I hope you are enjoying this conversation. The good news is 
You'll have more for tomorrow's program. We're going to continue with Mike Andy's Liz, Naylor, Jason, and Sean. So uh, this basically, we try to keep these episodes around a half an hour uh, because we, and I get asked about that all the time. People are like, why don't you do like a three hour show like Joe Rogan, Paul? Well, we do have a daily podcast. And so I need to make sure I take care of my health and my uh, emotions and things of that nature and What I have found is if I'm going to be faithful to give you high quality content on a daily basis, 30 minutes is a, is a good bite-sized chunk that I can try to deliver the the best of the best for you. So uh, anyway, we, instead of having this be like a two hour episode, uh, we're just going to break it up into, to bite-sized, you know, um, episodes. So anyway, I say all that to say, uh, hopefully you're subscribed to the green tree podcast and got the notifications on. So when the next section of this, uh, Q and a drops on tomorrow's program, you'll get notified and can tune on in. Cause this is gold. And I really appreciate Liz and Mike and Sean and, and Naylor and Jason, uh, sharing their expertise because all of these guys have learned a lot over the years. So as we get to hear their perspectives, hopefully we can avoid some mistakes in our lives. Well, hey, I want to let you know over at the greenindustrypodcast.com, we have business documents and templates to help you in your business. So we had an attorney craft a landscape contract that, that covers from A to Z if you're doing a larger landscaping job and you want to make sure that you have you know a proper contract. We have a very in-depth, thorough landscape contract, you know, written with all the legalese from an attorney and it's a template. So you can plug it and play it into your job that you're doing in your state. You know, you can kind of adjust a little bit and you want to adjust. You don't want to leave it where it says insert here. (laughs) Yeah. That looks, that actually happened to me one time. It was so unprofessional. I I hired somebody to do something for me. They literally sent me a, a contract and it said insert here, meaning I could tell that they didn't take the time to like you know, fill out the template, which was unprofessional. So don't be that gal or girl, or pardon me, guy or gal. It was a girl that had sent me that unprofessional nonsense. So anyway, uh, make sure you fill out with any of our templates, our price increase letter template, our, our landscape contract template. We've created it to give you the bones. And then you just fill where it says insert here, you know, your company name or, or the date and things of that nature, but it's ready made. It's, it's written by an attorney and, and ready for you to uh, confidently share it and look professional uh, for your jobs. And of course, to, to have that structure so you can have that um, peace of mind that, you know, you're, you got your butt covered on this job. And so it's, it's in-depth, it's thorough. And uh, anyway, you can make it your own. It's, it's available at our resource center at greenindustrypodcast.com. So that links in today's show notes, or you can just memorize it. It's pretty easy. Greenindustrypodcast.com. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope to catch you on the next episode. You need to increase your prices to earn more, but you better do it correctly or your customers will become unhappy. You want to discover the proven method to easily increase your prices? I've assembled the Price Increase Letter Template. It's a plug and play document that will allow you to inform your customers in the correct way so that they understand why and will gladly accept your price increase. You can pick up the Price Increase Letter Template today at the Resource Center at thegreenindustrypodcast.com. Hey, it's Marty, producer of the Green Industry Podcast. This episode is over, but check the episode notes for links to products and services that you heard about during the episode. And thanks for listening.